live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Rue for President. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yeah, and Jane was just talking about uh, Diane Carroll, who I, maybe if you are of a certain age, you just have no idea who Diane Carroll was. But Diane Carroll was really a trailblazer in the area of, of television. She starred in a TV show called Julia that I think ran in, I think, 1967. And what was so interesting about this is this was a... A situation comedy, but it was groundbreaking in that it was the first situation comedy that featured an African-American character in a non-sort of stereotypical role, starring role. I mean, there had been other, of course, African-American characters in television, but typically they would play roles like maids or things like that. In Julia, Diane Carroll played a a nurse. Her husband had passed away in Vietnam, and she was smart. She was opinionated. She was stylish. They showed her dating successful African-American men. Now, I, I say that. And it sounds like, well, gee, Jeff, I mean, what's the big deal about that? But in 1967 on television, believe it or not, it was, in fact, a big deal. And Diane Carroll, very much a trailblazer. She was also um, a very gifted entertainer and kind of dropped off the radar screen after a while. But if you are of a certain age, undoubtedly you you watched the, the show Julia. And like I say, she was she laid the groundwork for a lot of other programs that came afterwards. All right, I want to pick up today's show where we left off yesterday's show. And I bring this up. Typically, I, I don't do topics back-to-back, but we, we launched into a topic at the very end of yesterday's program, and we had jammed phone lines, and I hadn't given myself enough time really to discuss this fully, and I got a ton of emails and texts afterwards indicating the, the interesting discussion about this. And I also understand that some people... Thank you. Turn on WTMJ at 6 o'clock in the morning and don't turn it off till you go to bed at night. Other people come in and out. There is something that is being introduced in Congress right now. It's called the American Family Act of 2019. It is supported by a number of the people who are running to be the Democrat nominee for president, including Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, and Amy Klobuchar. All right. The um, this American Family Act recognizes and starts with a premise that staying home and raising a family offers a value. And I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. I mean, whether, you know, it's the more traditional thing where the woman stays home and takes care of the kids or the house husbands, I think we would all agree that there is a value to that. And I think if you talk to most people who've had one of those situations where one spouse stayed home and one spouse worked, you would agree that it's a partnership to raising the kids. There's also a choice that you end up making if you have one of the spouses that stay home. And that is, well, 
stay-at-home spouse isn't going to be working outside the home, so they're not going to be generating revenue, not going to be generating money, and it does put pressure. You're living on one person's income. Obviously, if you have both people who are working outside the home, you've got two incomes coming in, and yeah, you might have to spend some money on child care, but you've got, again, two incomes coming in. All right, this proposed law would say that the government... The government should start paying you to stay home. The way it would work is that for all but the highest earning families, so for most families, you would get a check if one of your spouses, if a person stays home to take care of the kids. You don't need to be married either. I mean, this you could be staying at home. If you stay at home to take care of kids, the government will send you a check in the amount of $300 a month for each child under the age of five. Also, the government would send you a check for $250 each month for each child ages six to 16. So under this proposal, let's say you had four kids, I don't know, 10, 12, four, and two, You'd get 600 bucks for the two that are under five. You'd get $500 for the kids that were older than that. So you get $1,100 a month. The government would send you that check. Um, people who don't work for pay would be eligible, and it would be paid every month. Now, clearly, if you did something like this, well, it, it might make it easier, might make it more affordable for people to be able to stay home. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, we only had a couple minutes on yesterday's topic. I rolled this out. First person that called in said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe somebody would think about this. I mean, you know, this is, you know, you make these different choices, but, you know, why should you be paid simply to stay home? Second caller I got said, Oh, I think this is a great idea. We spend millions and millions of dollars on things like smart bombs and the like. Why shouldn't we pay people? It would make it a lot easier for people to raise families. Why shouldn't we just have the government write checks to people? And by the way, this would be in addition to all the other types of benefits that are out there. But a government subsidy for having children and not working. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, to my understanding, there's no... There's no limit on the number of children that would qualify. The more children you would have, the more children you would be paid for, the more money you would get. All right. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Pamela in Kenosha. Pamela, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. What do you think about this? I think it's a great idea, and I think those that um, um, don't agree, um, I think, have small minds in regards to recognizing that um, we pay as a society, government pays for these mothers to go to work and pay for child care. Um, A lot of them are abusive of that situation, whatever. But the point being is that in it is better for um, our families as a unit to not have the same pressures of a two-family income where they're not able to take care of... Oh, 
I'm I'm sorry. You're, you're, I did not touch the button. Your your cell phone dropped out there, Pamela. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. My question would have been, um, why should we say, for example, to a twenty eight year old single person in the workforce with student loan debt and those various things that they should be paying? for somebody else's decision to have children and then stay at home with those children. I guess that's the thing. I mean, the money for this has to come from somewhere. And the question becomes, as, as a matter of policy, why is it is this a legitimate thing to say for people who have made the decision that they want to work or made the decision they want to be childless, that they have to pay for to support other people's decision to, number one, have children, and number two, decide not to work. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we'd all like to have checks from the government. The question becomes, at, at what point in time do we say, well, okay, just because you make the decision that you want to stay home with your children, does that mean that the rest of the taxpayers have to support that decision? Tim in Random Lake. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hello. Hi, Tim. For taking my call. Sure. So I, I said to whoever answered the phone, I said, I've got a good example. My youngest son, when they decided to have a family, him and his wife were both working. They decided at that point they weren't going to send children to daycare, and she stays as a stay-at-home mom, and I think it's better for them. And they both would agree they would love to have an extra check. Right. But if Joe Taxpayer has to produce it, why should we all pay for someone else to take advantage of that system? Well, well, that's and that's the fundamental issue. You're you're exactly right, and and this this would apply to almost everybody except the wealthiest individuals. So, I mean, it's kind of like, all right, if if dad is working and making fifty grand a year, you know, okay, mom has made the decision that she wants to stay at home with the kids. Yes, it would be great to get an extra thousand dollars a month, and would that make their life easier? It would be. But you know, what about the people that are making thirty grand a year, paying their own taxes? Why should they support that particular decision? I mean, that's what the issue comes down to. I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and look, and I, I don't mean to be, I mean, I, I don't mean to be stereotypical or anything about this, but I mean, think about the potential downside. What we are doing, if we do something like this, is we are incentivizing having children. I mean, that that's it. The more kids you have, the more money you are going to get from the the government and there's no requirement that there be an intact to family home or anything like that it's just and, and this is on top of all the other benefits that there are going to be um again to me having children is a decision that you make deciding whether one spouse or both spouses are going to work that's a decision that you make but it's just hard for me to say to again somebody in their 30s who've made the decision that hey we're bo- both of us are going to be working because we want to pay off our student loans or we want to save to say that okay you know we're going to take our taxes and give it to support somebody who's made the decision a right a proper decision completely appropriate i get why you want to stay home but does that mean that the government has to subsidize it let's talk to vanessa in greendale vanessa you're on wtmj Hi, I'm, I agree with what you're saying. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two kids. But me and my husband made the decision and budget to make sure that I can stay home. And, you know, another thing for people to take. Yep. Um, 
Okay, well, wouldn't it be nice, though? I mean, how many kids do you have, Vanessa? I have two. Okay, so wouldn't it be nice if you got a, a check from the government for 500 bucks or so every month? I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a nice thing to have happen? Oh, definitely, but it's not in the best interest of the country. It's just insane. I mean, we're just giving a – it's all about handouts. That's what it feels like lately. It's, you know, we're responsible for our children. We're responsible for our bills. And I can't put that on taxpayers, like you said, to hand out this money to me. I mean, it's just, I, it's right. silly. Okay, well, thanks. Well, I mean, I, you, you, you say it's silly, but I mean, they're actually, I mean, look, and I understand that, I mean, the, the argument would be we, we want to encourage people to be able to stay home and raise children. We don't want to have the pressures of two fam- of t- both members of a family having to work and things like that. And I understand all of that. But the question becomes, is it's the government's role to facilitate something like that? Here's a text. Jeff, I completely disagree with this program. When we were raising our child, we worked different shifts in order to still have someone at home to take care of our family. We made it work, and we shouldn't expect the government to pay us to stay at home or to take care of our kids. 414-799-1620. Sue in Sheboygan Falls. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I think uh, absolutely not, and my reasoning for that is I'm just wondering who's going to pay for all of this. And just a little bit of personal experience, um, we have three kids. I stayed home with all three of them. It was a choice that my husband and I made, and I would have never, the thought would have never crossed my mind at the time that someone should pay me to stay home. And you just learn at the time. I mean, looking back, we, we didn't go out to eat all the time. You learn kind of to do without um, yeah. You know, it was our choice. I would never go back, and it was a blessing. Um, but I would never in a million years expect anyone to pay me to stay home. Yeah, but wouldn't your life have been easier if you were getting a check for 500 or or 1000 bucks every month? Absolutely. Yeah. It would have been really nice. But, it, you know, at the same time, how? where's that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from everybody else. <laughs> you know, that's I know, it. It's going to come I from know. everybody else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you okay. Know, and- no, I would, I would never. And and if it were to happen now, I think I'd be a little bit bitter to have to pay for well, someone yeah, else to stay home. Well, that, I mean, right. Th- I mean, thanks. To, see, that that is kind of the, the, the issue, and it's a question of fundamental fairness. I mean, how do you – I was looking at the example of the, the person in their 20s or 30s, but, you know, how do you say to the person in their 50s or, or 60s and say, okay, well, now suddenly you are going to be subsidizing the decision that other people are making to stay home and to have children, and we're also going to create a culture where we are going to reward you for the more children that you have. And I understand some people might be cringing when they hear me say that but if, if you don't think that at least some people will say oh, okay you know the more kids i can have the bigger that check is going to be at the end of every month and in, like i say this is also in addition to you know all the other government subsidies and programs that are out there i mean is is this really as a matter of policy something that we want to be encouraging julie in kenosha julie you're on wtmj hi jeff thanks for taking my call yes ma'am um, I completely agree with you. Um, when once we start incentivizing um, having a child, we got some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs uh, more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to raise a child. Not to mention the emotional and um, well-being aspects of child rearing that come into play. And I think you're going to have people just taking advantage of the system. 
and not looking into what does it really mean to raise a child from birth to adulthood. Yeah, I think, right, For I mean, and that would be, I guess, one of the potential downsides that there is for this. I guess, see, to me, this raises kind of one of the fundamental issues about what is the role of government and how far does the role of government extend into people's lives? I mean, if if you make the decision that you want to have a family, at, at what point in time, how much responsibility does the government take then for for paying for that decision? And I guess, I guess I'm just not there yet. I Maybe I'm just hopelessly old-fashioned, but I'm not there yet. If you want to have kids, that's great. Um, government assistance is there to help you out. But a check for every kid you have, I just don't see it. It's, I, I think it's a, it's a very poor decision. Um, on a personal note, I decided to work part-time and be there uh, for the raising of my two boys. And um, my husband and I, we downsized. We sold our big house. We got a little ranch. Um, we made some sacrifices in order for me to be a part-time employee and raise the kids. And um, it's not anybody else's responsibility to do that. Um, exactly. No, thanks for calling. I have a text here. Jeff, why do you ask such easily answered questions? Of course, nobody wants this. Are you kidding me? My second grader could figure this out. No, no, no. You, you don't understand that this, this is not some pie in the sky. This is legislation which is pending in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It's called the American Family Act of 2019. It's introduced by Michael Bennett, who's a senator out of Colorado. It has signatories. It is supported by Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Cory Booker. Those are various individuals, one, two, three, four, five, who are, I would argue, some of the leading candidates to be the Democrat nominee for president. So don't tell me that there's nobody that's out there supporting this. There's a lot of support for this. Lauren in Brookfield. Lauren, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Sure. Hey, you know, I'm giving a call. While while I think something like this is is something to be talked about, but I I question where does the buck stop with government as far as the oversight? There's no oversight here as to, you know, essentially, as you said, you can have as many children as you possibly want and continue to get paid. I mean, yep. there's no fiduciary standard to hold our politicians to. They continue to spend our dollars wastefully. And that group of people you mentioned, they all want to do a shadow tax against us with the financial transaction tax. I mean, where does it stop? We it, need some accountability. It, it does. No, thanks. No, it, it just doesn't stop. But this is, again, it's one of these that, that has this certain appeal, especially – if you believe that it's the government's obligation to take care of people from cradle to grave, this, this is literally this decision. Don't worry about trying to figure out if you can afford kids. Don't worry about trying to figure out, you know, how the finances are going to be. We are going to pay you to stay home. And you're evil if you don't think that that's a legitimate use of government money. But don't tell me that this isn't an idea that, that's out there and couldn't happen. I'm here to tell you there's a lot of people that support it. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Free at last, free at last. If Chris Abley gets his way, criminals, or at least many criminals, will be free at last. Actually, not just free at last. They'll be free at first. Let me back into this. There, there is this myth that is out there that says that the prisons and the jails are filled with 
harmless people who have generally committed victimless crimes. They're they're there for smoking pot, and and I, I think we've we've pretty much established that that's that is a huge myth. The truth of the matter is, in Wisconsin, in order to get put into prison, and prison is where you go if you are serving a term in excess of one year, in order to get into prison, you got to work at it. I mean, judges appreciate that the prisons are overcrowded for a variety of reasons. If you look at the vast majority of people who are in the Wisconsin prison system, it is because they've either done something really bad, crimes of violence, firearms charges, things like that, or because they've done progressively worse stuff over and over again. And what's happened is what they tried to do before, probation, double secret probation, work release, all that stuff hasn't worked. That's what the majority of people in the prison system are in. Now, then you get the whole other system, the people that go to like that, that are in the county jails. They're not in prison. Those folks are in a different category, but the truth of the matter is for the vast majority of people who go through the court system, who do what we're going to call minor things, the the, the first and typically the second and maybe the third alternative is to put them on probation. You know, if they haven't, if it's not a really terrible thing, it'll be, all right, don't do this again. We're going to give you another chance. We're going to put you on probation. And as I've often said, that the problem isn't that we give people second chances. The problem is that we give people fifth and sixth and seventh chances. But you've got the option of probation. Then there's the people that are kind of in between. Maybe what they did is, is too bad. It's too significant a crime to give them straight probation. Here, just, you know, report to your parole officer, your probation officer, you know, once every month. But it's not bad enough to say that we're going to send you to prison for a couple years. So what you want is you want to have some punishment with some consequence. And that's where something called work release, or in Wisconsin they refer to it as Huber Law, comes in. So what the judges will say is they'll say, look, maybe, you know, you've committed a, you've committed other crimes on probation, and, and so probation alone isn't working. Or maybe what you did was so not bad enough to get you to sent to prison for a couple years, but still it, it, we need just more than don't do it again. We need to have some consequence. And so that middle ground is, again, it's work release or what they call Huber Law, where you say, all right, here's the deal. You know, we're going to let you out during the day. So you can, if you're working at a job, you can go to that job. If you're going to school, you can, you know, go to school. But at the end of the day, you've got to come back. And in Milwaukee County, it's you've got to come back to the House of Correction. And, and they have dormitories. And the idea is you've got to report in at night. And you know, maybe it's going to be 30 days. Maybe it's going to be 60 days. Maybe it's going to be three months. Maybe it's going to be six months, whatever. But, you know, we're not going to fully incarcerate you. You're not going to be behind bars. You can be out and about in the community. But still, we want to have an element of punishment. And that means you and we also want to keep you under some control. You know, we want to make sure that you're not going to repeat. And the best way to do that is to make sure that you come back every night to the dorms. It's a middle ground punishment. Well, here here is, I guess, to the extent there is a problem with that. It costs money 
to have people, you know, in these dorms, and that's pretty much what they are, at the House of Correction. You, you've got you've to have staffing there. You've got to have people that are there to watch the folks. You've got to have people there to, to make sure that they, in fact, come back. So Chris Abley, who is the Milwaukee County Executive, his grand idea is let's stop work release. Instead of having people go out and then have to come back at night, let's do away with this. Let's not make them come back. Let's let them go home. Let's just put them on GPS monitoring systems. We'll give them an ankle bracelet so we can figure out where they are. So that way we can close the dormitories. We can lay off staff or, you know, redirect it or whatever. He estimates that they can save about $1.7 million if instead of making people come back at night as part of their sentence, they could just go home. And he says, oh, we don't need to worry about this because, you know, they'll have an electronic bracelet on. So, you know, we can just monitor and we can figure out where they are at any given time. But why make them come back to the house of correction? Let's just let them go home. Right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. On the one hand, the county executive is correct. If you didn't make people come back to, uh, again, the work release facility, all right, you, you could. You wouldn't need the work release facility. That, that's it. You could you could shut down the dorms. You could lay off the people. You could save that money. There, there's no question about it. But at the same time, all right, that's an element of the sentence. It's an element of punishment. And interestingly, the courts are kind of skeptical about this, and the district attorney, of all people, is kind of skeptical about this because they all recognize that, one of the things that you're trying to do when you impose a sentence is you're trying to include at least some element of punishment so somebody doesn't do it again. And if the whole idea is, here, go about your life and then just go home, all right, is that an element of punishment? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am all in favor of saving money. Don't get me wrong. I think this is a harebrained idea, though, and I don't think you save money at the risk of public safety or recidivism. The reason people are required to, again, come back at night is, number one, to check on them, and number two, to include an element of punishment. The idea is, hey, maybe you're not going to like this, and so when you complete your work release sentence, maybe it's going to inspire you not to go out and commit more crimes in the future. If you simply let somebody go home, well, is there a punishment? 414-799-1620, I think this is a very dangerous precedent to say we're going to stop punishing people in order to save a few dollars. What do you think? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's what the county executive wants to do. Like I say, interestingly, even some of the judges who, by the way, you know, could just put people on straight probation, but they use this work release as a way to at least keep them under some control. Judges and even the DA's office aren't sold on this. Are you? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Okay, here's my favorite text of the day. Jeff, I had to do six months for growing pot, not selling it. I had over 10 plants myself, first defense ever. I thought that my sentence was a little extreme, but whatever. 
I would have loved to have gotten bracelet over having to go to jail every night. Loved, loved, loved it. The food is terrible in jail. No couch or nice chair. No big screen TV. Plus no girlfriend at my side in jail. It's a huge difference. A bracelet is not punishment at all. It's really a joke. To which I say, don't believe me, believe somebody who did that. Look, this is the idea. The reason judges impose these sentences, these work release sentences, is because they're they're trying to make an impression on somebody. They need to have something that's in between the straight probation and go to jail, stay in jail, don't pass go. That's what work release is. It recognizes that there is this, you know, in between category of offender. You want it, you don't, you want to give them a chance to continue working. You know, you want to give them a chance to stay in school or whatever. But nevertheless, you don't want them going home at night to their big screen TV and their girlfriend and their, you know, fast food or whatever. You want to have a degree of punishment to it. And I'll tell you what the effect would be. Now, I'm never going to be a circuit court judge. I really have no desire to be a circuit court judge. But if I had a county executive like Chris Abley, who was talking about, you know, we're we're just not going to honor work release. Well, what I would say is, okay, fine. Then I, I'm, if, if this is what your reaction is going to be, I'm not going to use probation. I'm, I'm going to use straight sentencing because I think there needs to be a degree of punishment. So I'm not going to give this person the option. Interestingly, if Abley were to get his way, the effect might be more people actually going to prison or, you know, being sentenced to, sentenced to terms in jail where there isn't the option for work release. And I guess that's, that's the key thing that's here. Jeff. Here's a text. If you're allowed to go home and to work, what is the punishment? And the the answer is there there is no punishment to that at all, other than the fact that you've got to wear the bracelet and it's a bit of an inconvenience. And presumably, if, um, I don't know, you're supposed to be at home and you're at a bar at 2 o'clock on a Friday morning, the bracelet's going to tell you that, and, and maybe the officials will notice it, and maybe they won't, and maybe you'll get in trouble, and maybe you'll get revoked, or maybe you won't. But but the, the point is, you don't have to be back at the facility, which is the whole idea behind the concept of punishment. So I understand the county executive wants to save dough. No problem. Get it. He wants to save money. There's ways you can do that, though, without taking the deterrence and the punishment aspect out of the criminal justice system. And it seems to me, given all the money that Milwaukee County pees away to save $1.7 million, which is a bunch of money, don't get me wrong, bunch of money, but it's peanuts compared with the money that Milwaukee County pees away on all sorts of other things. To save $1.7 million at a, at, by putting the county population at risk, by releasing people who should not be released, to me, that is the height of irresponsibility. And hopefully this idea isn't going to get any traction at all. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, David Stearns has a number of difficult decisions to make this offseason. Now, obviously, for those of us who are Brewers fans, you, you look at the two big free agent signings last year, Mike Moustakas and Yasmani Grandel, and you say, boy, you'd, you'd love to have him back, and you would certainly love to have him back. The, the question becomes... How much can you pay them and for how long? Keep in mind, uh, Moustakis tried the free agent market twice. The last two years, wasn't able to get a long-term deal, ended up back with the Brewers. Great fit, and the Brewers really, I think, need somebody to play third base. Um, I think he, he's just a great fit with the team. And I guess the question becomes, you know, can you get him at for a couple years, can you lock him up at an affordable rate, something that you can can live with? And so that's an issue. My answer is I hope they can. Yasmani Grandel, I think, turned out to be just a great free agent signing. One year, $18 million. He's in his early 30s. He's clearly going to be looking for a big money deal over several years. And the question is going to be how much money can you invest in a guy who plays catcher, also a little bit of first base, um, you know, how much can you pay him for how long a period of time? And, and let's keep in mind what the other elephant in the room is for the Brewers. Yes, you want to be thinking about 2020, but you also want to be thinking ahead. Christian Yelich, arguably the best player in baseball right now, he's under contract for three more years. Um, next year, I was just looking at the contract details. Next year, he makes $12.5 million, which is an absolute steal. Year after that, $14 million, and the year after that, $15 million. That's an all an absolute steal. But after three years, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. If you want to keep him and make him and continue to be the face of the franchise, he will be 31 years old. Um, he will be at his prime. And, you know, if he continues to play like he's played, he, he's, he's going to break the bank. He could be the highest paid ba- player in baseball, and the Brewers are going to have to decide, can can you let a guy like this go? What me, what that means is, you know, where is the dough going to come from? And so you have to, I'm sure you have to think ahead. The whole idea of, well, if we sign Yasmani Grandal to a, a big multi-year contract, all right, how, how many years can we go ahead? Can we pay him for five years? Can we pay Mike Moustakis for five years? You know, what, what can we do? Ryan Braun makes a bunch of money. I think last next year is the last year under his contract, so that's going to be a bunch of big money coming off. Three years from now, I think that's the end of Lorenzo Cain's contract, so that's going to be a bunch of big money coming off. I, I bring this up because it's it's not as cut and dried as, gee, you know, we do we want these guys back? The question is, can you make it work? And, and can you make it work understanding where the franchise is going to be, not just this year, but next year and the year after that? And then, of course, there is the issue of, of pitching. Um, you know, does Milwaukee, in order to be viewed as a serious World Series contender, do they need to go out and, and try to bring in a, a big-time, big-name pitcher? I don't know who's going to be available in free agency. They, they really didn't do that this year. But, you know, can you start next season with, you know, the same group of starting pitchers? You've got Brandon Woodruff. You've got Josh Davies. You know, maybe Jimmy Nelson comes back. You know, maybe, you know, Brett Suter ends up being a starting pitcher again. I mean, you know, you've got all these different options that are out there. But if you're going to be a serious contender, do you need to do something to upgrade the pitching staff? And that's going to cost a bunch of money as well. So, I mean, these are all the issues that are out there. But, again, it's not just as simple as saying, do we want Mike Moustakis back? 
answer is yes, and I hope he comes back. Do you want Yasmani Grandel back? Yeah, the answer is yes. You hope he, he comes back. They were both great additions to the team this year. The question is, can you sign them for a reasonable amount of money for a reasonable length of time? Again, keeping in mind, you know, what what the future is going to look like down the road and how much you're going to have to shell out. And this conversation we're having is without even regard for like Josh Hader, when Hader starts becoming eligible for arbitration and things like that, because you've got a bunch of the young players, and that's where in baseball you really make a bunch of money when you start becoming eligible for arbitration and you, you start being paid millions instead of thousands of dollars. It is going to be an interesting off season for the Brewers, although I have to admit, I was watching that game last night between the, uh, the uh, Dodgers and the Washington Nationals, and it just, man, I wish the Brewers were in that game. I wish I just wish the Brewers were in that game. I, I mean, I think the Dodgers are going to be tough to beat. But boy, I tell you, it wouldn't it have been nice. And as somebody who had a bunch of tickets, had a, tickets for the games and stuff, I would have I would have loved to have been spending Sunday afternoon or evening at Miller Park for one more time. But there is next season. All right. Let's let us set the mood for this next topic. Uh, Gru who's producing the show today and always. Do, do we have the, the tune to get us into the mood? Do we have that tune to get smoke, us into the mood? Smoke, smoke that cigarette. Puff, 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 and if you smoke yourself to death, tell St. Peter at the Golden Gate that you hate to make him weep. You've got to have another cigarette. In a game of chance the other night, old Dame Fortune was doing me right. The kings and queens just kept on coming around. I got a full and I bet it high, but my bluff didn't work on a certain guy. He just kept on raising and laying the money down. He'd raise me, I'd raise him. I sweated blood, you got a sink or swim. He finally called, didn't raise the bet. I said, Ace is full, pal, how about you? He said, I'll tell you in just a minute or two, but right now, I just gotta have myself a cigarette. Smoke, smoke, smoke a cigarette. Puff, 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 and if you smoke yourself to death. Tell St. Peter at the Golden Gate that you hates to make him weep. You've got to have another cigarette. Now, when I was a kid, you used to see cigarettes all the time. You'd see people smoking cigarettes on television. Your parents, my, my, my father would smoke from time to time. You know, chances are maybe your parents smoked. And over time... The word got out that, you know, smoking cigarettes was not only an expensive habit, but it also was a habit that was very, very bad for you. And I don't think that I don't think that at least certain generations appreciated how bad a habit it was. So as a result, the number of people who smoke cigarettes has been down dramatically. You've got all the warning signs. You've got all the labels. Tobacco remains a legal product, though, and people, for whatever reasons, still do continue to make the choice to smoke cigarettes. Now, I've said this before. I don't understand it. Now, you, you might say, Jeff, there's things that you spend money on that we don't understand, and I respect that, but I, I don't get why people smoke nowadays. You know it's bad for you. You know it is incredibly expensive, but people still decide to do that. Well, one of the things that has happened lately is that we've made it, we as a society, have made it very, very difficult or uncomfortable for people to smoke. The vast majority of buildings are, are smoke-free. I can remember when I first started practicing law, some, some of my colleagues 
would sit and they'd smoke cigars in the office. You could always tell when some of these guys had these these stogies lit up because the whole office would reek of cigar smoke. But that's how it was. You could smoke in your offices. You could smoke in public buildings. Nobody thought anything of it. You could smoke in bars. Well, now that has pretty much changed. And generally speaking, if you're looking to smoke a cigarette, now you're, you're pretty much either going to be in, in some exterior courtyard or you're going to be confined to a really stinky, smoky room or you're going to be out in front of the building. I mean, how often have you, I don't know, gone to a bar or a restaurant and, you know, it, it's raining or it's cold and there's two or three or four or five people that are huddled outside, you know, wearing their coats, you know, smoking cigarettes, all right? How often have you seen that? It is, unfortunately, I think kind of a common occurrence that people are out there having to do that but it's the way we treat smoking nowadays which brings me to the city of milwaukee the city of milwaukee is considering a ban on smoking within 30 feet that would be 10 yards of public buildings either owned or leased by the city now this played out yesterday mike murphy who's one of the aldermen you know he said he had received complaints from people with asthma who have to come to city hall one woman who comes on a monthly basis to pay her taxes gets a reaction right away after breathing in the smoke outside the building so her beef is you know when i come to city hall there's always one or two or three people that are standing outside by the doorway and they're having a cigarette and i've got to walk through this and i get exposed to secondhand smoke and it ends up being this terrible thing it aggravates my problem Milwaukee Alderman Bob Donovan, who, by the way, I believe is a smoker still, he says, look, you know, we we've you know, we, we haven't had any significant numbers of complaints about this. There really isn't a significant problem that exists. I mean, oftentimes we're already treating smokers like piranhas. Um, fewer and fewer people are smoking. You know, do we really need to not allow people to smoke immediately outside the public building? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I am curious, do we need to ban smoking outside the immediate area of public buildings? In this case, the requirement would be you have to be at least 10 yards away from the building. Is it really a problem that you have people gathered outside the buildings having a cigarette? 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, when I was a smoker, my dad, an ex-smoker at the time, told me that I probably won't realize how bothersome it is until after I quit. As an ex-smoker now, I apologize to everyone for smoking outside of buildings, and I'm fine with a ban on it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Eric in Milwaukee. Hi, Eric. How's it going, Jeff? Good. Love Are, your show. Thank you, sir. Are you a smoker? I am a smoker. Can I ask I you why? I, can I, I'm, and I, I'm not lecturing. I'm just I'm curious. Why? Well, you know, it was back when I was like 16 or 17, and I was looked older, and I could buy cigarettes for my friends. And I always thought I would never start or I could quit, and then it just kind of evolved. You know, okay. and I just kind of kept smoking. And So how long have you been smoking? Uh, about 
I would say about twenty years. Okay, all right, got it. Um, would you, I'm, and again, I'm, 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 this isn't lecturing. I'm generally curious. Would you like to quit, or is it just it, it's a habit and it, it's just well, too I, ha- tough of a habit to break? I do enjoy it. Um, it's, it, it is a very hard habit to break. I have to do it at some point. I mean, I'm 43. You know, I, I don't want to be that old wrinkly guy, you know, whose, <laughs> whose, whose lungs but, look like raisins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I do know like you can kind of rebuild your lungs and that's fine, but I do need to quit, but I just think it's a bit extreme. I mean, we can't smoke on planes, which I understand can't smoke in bars and restaurants anymore, you know, and just, we're all, st- us smokers are all kicked outside. We're kind of like the dirt bags around town. Oh, yeah. And we have to sit out in front. I mean, so I think we're already outside as it is. Now we have to, st- you know, go that much further away from the building. I mean, we've, we've already been kicked out of every public building there is. All right. So you just think it's unnecessary to, to push you any further away from the buildings? I think so. I mean,. I think, really, I mean, we're already outside as it is. I mean, that lady who has the asthma, I mean, that I find it a little extreme that yeah. she gets affected by being outside walking past smokers. I mean... Uh, for, for a couple seconds, right? Because you're, you're, I mean, you're, even if, you know, it's it's interesting. I think, I think fewer and fewer people are smoking, and I... I, this is just anecdotal. I notice less people gathering outside of entrances, and I don't know if that's just because people are just getting frustrated with it and giving it up. But it, it, it's it's not like when I walk into buildings that I, I typically find myself having to pass through this like giant cloud of smoke. I, I a lot of times maybe I'll see one or two people out there, but that's pretty much it. Well, I'm the last of my friends to be a smoker. Really, I'm really like the only guy who goes out anymore to have one after dinner, or so. I mean, I'm kind of the black sheep of the group, but <laughs> and I get it. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible habit, and I wish I didn't, but it is what it is. And I, I mean, I, I totally understand, like you know, not on planes or not you know in bars and restaurants. It, it does smell right. bad, and it's not healthy for other people. And secondhand smoke does kill. I get it. But I think we're already outside as it is. Come on. Got it. Thanks to call 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But I, I, I mean, I, I, I am curious. The idea is city of Milwaukee is saying, okay, we want to push you further away from the buildings. And the argument is, well, you know, somebody, particularly somebody who might be especially sensitive to cigarette smoke, might have to walk um, into the building and they might have to smell your cigarette smoke. 414-799-1620. Joan in New Berlin. Hi, Joan. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Well, I used to be a smoker, and um, I worked in a large utility downtown, and they had smoking outside the doors. But I quit smoking, and um, I used to have to walk through those those crowds. and The, the gauntlet, yeah. <laughs> the gauntlet. Just walking through, I tell you, my clothes smelled like smoke. And, you know, it's it was bad, so I was saying. I, but I said I, I know how it felt when you want a cigarette, you need a cigarette, you know. But what about having people go like if there's like a, a side entrance or something? I know we had other doors besides just the main doors, but it, but it there is it is really bad when you, mm-hmm. especially if you quit smoking and if you walk through that smoke. It, it I could see how it could bother someone. Joan, how long did you smoke? If I can ask. Uh, twenty about twenty years. Okay, what motivated you to quit? Um, it was just something that was uh, something that was my hus- first husband was diagnosed with some cancer, and, and it was, I just had to quit. Got it. Got it. Was it hard? No, I quit cold turkey. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. It was, it was just I don't know how I did it, but it was just I just said I had to do it, and so I did it. Interesting. Okay, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Jim in Hales Corner, and Lake Geneva. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hello, how are you? I am well, thank you. Should we ban smoking outside of government buildings? I think if it interferes with the coming and going of people, I think yes. I am a former smoker. It's been 45 years since I smoked. When I see guys outside of a bar or any of these public buildings, I wonder, would I ever do that? What what drove me to quit, and it was the hardest thing I did, it really is difficult. Mm -hmm. And I did a cold turkey, uh, but it uh, it was my health, and my father had died of emphysema. And I'd seen the ending of his life, and I, I pitied him. But the man could not could not quit smoking. Right, and uh, that is it's the addiction. It is a terrible addiction. I uh, I'd say, well, I'm not an addic- addict to any kind of pills or medicine, but I was addicted to cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the people that that are that that haven't made the decision to stop smoking yet i mean they during the the business day they they have to they have to smoke somewhere should we tell them that they they can't smoke outside the public building well give them a smoking room where they're all in the same room Mm -hmm. like they do in airports where you have that little like generally speaking go into the smoking room that just absolutely reeks (laughs) a cloud of dust and a hardy (laughs) aisle thanks for the call i appreciate it look here's where i come down on this and and again i'm i'm not lecturing on cigarette smoking i've never been a cigarette smoker myself um and i i do mean it is a legal product i i guess when when it comes to this outside smoking i understand that there are certain issues for example like littering and things like that people would always complain hey people just leave their cigarette butts around It, it looks it looks terrible that's not what the city of Milwaukee is about here. And I guess I am serious. I'm with Bob Donovan on this one. I'm wondering if this is a solution looking for a problem. I understand that there might be one person here or there who says, gee, just walking past somebody who, who's smoking a cigarette causes all sorts of issues. But at, at the same time, then, then what do you do? That, that same, There might be a person with allergies who has a reaction to somebody's cologne or somebody's perfume or, or whatever. I guess... I don't know that I'm convinced that this is enough of a problem, meaning that there are enough people who are significantly and seriously bothered that it justifies saying to the smokers, we're not going to allow you to smoke outside of the building. We're going to move you away. Now, if it turns out that there's this whole army of people who are being affected by the secondhand smoke, and maybe I would reconsider it. Right now, I don't think there's those large numbers. And even though I'm a non-smoker myself, and even though I don't like to be around cigarette smoking, and I don't like to be around cigar smoking, I I just... If somebody's going to be standing in the outside area and I've got to walk past them for a couple seconds to get into the building, I I can live with that. And I can balance my rights against the, the rights that they have to go out and stand outside in the cold or the rain or whatever and have the cigarette. So I'm not convinced we need to do this, at least not yet. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, the Silver Spring House is, is a Glendale institution. I mean, it's got a legacy that goes back like 110 years, but in particular, the 70s and the 80s and, you know, into the 90s. I mean, it was it was the go-to place. You try to go there on a Friday night for a fish fry or something, and, and you just couldn't get in. It was the place that after softball leagues and things like that, everybody went. It was just jammed. And, I mean, apparently business has been going downhill over the last several years, and there's been a couple different changes of 
of ownership and admittedly even last couple years more for nostalgia than anything else I, I mean i think i can remember being there once and that was after my best friend picked me up we i had my car service down the road and it was in the middle of the afternoon and we stopped off there for beer but but didn't go back but i mean the news is and undoubtedly like i say if you grew up in that area you know what i'm talking about you know the silver spring house but it's tomorrow night uh, is it's last night it's it's closing and that 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 happens i get it just with the like the pharmacy i talked about a minute ago or the bakery or other places i i understand the times change and just because something has been there forever doesn't mean that it's always going to be there uh prime example boston store you know i mean boston store and again if you grew up in this area i mean boston store were the thriving department stores they were the anchors of all these huge shopping centers all across our area and you know boston store has been gone for what you know over a year now and you know people's tastes change and people's times change but it doesn't mean that we can't I don't know, appreciate that history. So in honor of Silver Spring House, a great bar of my youth closing, we're going to devote just, just a segment of the program here on a Friday afternoon. All right. The the place, the restaurant or the bar that was a huge part of, I don't know, the community, your community growing up that you never thought was closed, that did close, that you miss. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The bar or restaurant that you really, gosh, you, you just hate the fact that it closed. And doesn't matter if it closed six months ago or 16 years ago, you miss it. 414-799-1620. Back to take a trip down memory lane in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Our phone lines and text lines have exploded. Some of the places people miss. Halfway House, uh, that was in Brookfield. It was Kitty Corner from Brookfield Square on Blue Mound Road. Had a guy that played the piano that used to serve the fish fries on Fridays like family style. Used to love it. Uh, the Boulevard Inn on Sherman Boulevard across from Washington Park. Yeah, I went to a legendary wedding there, my sister-in-law, and we still tell stories about that. I miss Chi-Chi's on 76th Street. Yeah, Chi-Chi's went to Martin Luther High, spent a lot of time there as a teen. Great food, great memories with friends. Carl Rosh's. Yeah, that's, you know, that's Carl Rosh's, one of those places that, again, it was just an institution. You had three great German restaurants. You had Mater's, you had Rosh's, and you had the John Ernst Cafe. And you always thought those three were always going to be there, and Rosh's and John Ernst are now gone. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Sandy in Wausau. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm sorry that Silver Spring House is closing, though. <laughs> Yeah, I can hardly believe it. I don't live in the area any longer, but all these uh, iconic places you're reading off, it just brings me back down memory lane. And Manning Supper Club was the one I was calling about. 76th and Good Hope. Yes, and the yeah. building's not even there any longer. Right, yeah, it's a it's a gas station and something else. Yeah, I, I you know I think about Manning's every time I drive past that corner. You know, because I know, yeah. I know it was just one of those places. It was always spot on with the food, great steaks, an awesome bar. I remember going there with my dad and um, 
Yep. Yeah, it, so no. it was just uh, it was great memories at at a great place, and can't believe it's gone forever. Exactly, no thing, and it always was you know, like incredibly popular. But I think you know that was when you were talking about prime real estate. I think for some of these places, they're just the the value. Look, look, the reality is, times change. You know, tastes change, and what might have been something that you know us baby boomers loved, you know, maybe the millennials, and they want their own places. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Tim in Waukesha. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How Hi, are Tim. you? Good. Okay. Place that you miss. Uh, the place that I miss the most is uh, the Honey Bucket in Menominee Falls. Okay, uh, I was never there, but I love the name. Yeah. <laughs> I just love you the know, name. It's legendary for the fact that. I don't think if you were in high school at that time or from, say, the mid-70s or, you know, on out, um, everybody went there. And uh, from the, you know, people from that went to Falls North, went to Falls East for the most part. You know, everybody just congregated there. And it was just such a great place. Uh, You know, it was almost like a cheers place where everybody knows your name. And I'll never forget the night that it burned down. There must have been hundreds of people in the street just, you know, as the film crew was there, there was a there was a TV station there. Everybody was just talking about all the great times that they had had at the Honey Bucket. Yeah, isn't that something? Oh, thanks, guys. And then you know, and then then it's just gone. Um, number of texts: the Bombay Bicycle Club in the late 1980s, Blue Mound Road in Brookfield. Yeah, I remember that as well. I, I'm trying to think if that was in the location where that Hooters is now or not. Mama Mia's on 77th and Burleigh, the garlic bread. O M G. Yeah, I remember that as well. 414-799-1620. Jim and Jackson. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Okay, Jeff. Grenadiers. I really miss that place. Chef Newt would come out. Make you whatever you want. Right, whatever kind of whatever kind of seafood dish you wanted, you could have as long as you could pay for it. Well, I remember he came out once and said, Jim, you have to try the sturgeon. And I'm thinking, sturgeon? <laughs> and he said, you'll love it. And I never had sturgeon, and I'm telling you, that was the best fish I've ever had. Ah, there you go. See, and you know, Grenadiers was just special. Grenadiers was kind of, that was Kitty Corner from Carl Rosh's downtown as well. 414-799-1620, Shelly in Milwaukee. Hi, Shelly. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, you missed the place? Heinemann's in Whitefish Bay. Okay, you know, you, there used to be Heinemann's all over. I miss Heinemann's in yeah. general. They used to have lunch yeah. meetings and breakfast meetings and things like that all the time. Yeah, as a child, you know, walking around Friday nights, I can't remember how many plates of French fries doused in ketchup that I had with my friends. Um, (laughs) Or going there after Mass at St. Monica's, it was just part of my childhood. So you say about Bay Bakery and um, Fitzy's closing, you know, that's just staples of childhood. (laughs) They're taking your childhood away there too, Shelley. Yes, they are. It's so sad. Yeah, just yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, you live long enough, you see all that happening. Okay, here's a text. A lot of people mention this. The Pig and Whistle, which is, of course, right down the street from where I'm sitting now. It, um, it, it, if you went to Shorewood or Mesmer, you hung out at the Pig and Whistle. If you went to uh, Nicolay, you hung out at the Milky Way, which is now Cops. The Pig and Whistle is now a uh, assisted living place, a senior housing place. So I, I, I whenever I, and it, by the way, it's a very nice assisted living place or senior housing place. Whenever I drive by it, though, I think, man, that used to be the the Pig and Whistle that's there. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Um, let's go to. Lou in Mequon. Lou, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Lou. Hi. My favorite is uh, Alpine Village Restaurant. On uh, Mequon, on uh, uh, Highway 57, Green Bay, going north towards Mequon Road. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, that's been a that's been a couple things. Yeah, over the years. Thanks, guy. I, I you know we would go there for kind of like special occasions from time to time. Let's see. Uh, let's talk to Bonnie in Milwaukee. Bonnie, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Bonnie. I was thinking about um, the Sky Room at Timmerman Airport. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, that goes back a long time. Well, it, it does, but no, I mean, right, because it was, it, was, it was the airport place. No, thanks for calling. I remember that. Okay, Jeff, just down the street from the Silver Spring House, remember Dos Bandidos? I certainly do remember Dos Bandidos. Um, I thought it was great for, you know, Mexican food. Just love that. A couple people mentioned that they miss Barnaby's. I, I told this story before. I, I used There used to be a Barnaby's on Port Washington Road when I was growing up, and they all closed. And there, there's two Barnaby's left, I think, in the country. And one is in Arlington, Illinois, kind of by the racetrack. So a couple of years ago, my brother and I, with his kids, we decide we're going we're gonna to go to this Barnaby's because we've been telling the kids, you know, wh- how great this was. And we walk into the Barnaby's, and it was, it was like a throwback to the 1970s. And I guess I'm just going to put it like this. My tastes have kind of changed. I, I think, yeah, I guess that's what the pizza tasted like. But, huh, it, it's, it's not quite as good as I thought it um, might have been. Jeff, the quilted bear in Germantown, all you could eat crab legs. Okay, Chancery on South 27. Um, I miss Dutchland Dairy. Absolutely. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ryan in Pewaukee. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Um, the place I miss the most is uh, Lakeview Lanes in Pewaukee. It's a bowling alley. And then, I mean, mm-hmm. all the parents used to go there for the leagues. And kids would come with them. It was a great time. You know? yeah. I, well, I miss bowling alleys in general. You know, I grew up on the North Shore, and there used to be Echo Bowl on, on Port Washington Road. There used to be Port Lanes up in, uh, like, Fox Point, and there used to right. be another one on Silver Spring. I just, I miss bowling alleys in general. I know there's still some around, but nowhere near as the, the, many Not as there the were. Mom and pop places, you know, and the, you know that are family-owned or with all the leagues and in the small towns, it's a lot of fun for kids and stuff too, you know. Oh yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's just times. I mean, thanks for no times. Times change. There's just no question about it. David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Hi David. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, really quickly, yeah, I would uh, say the Port Hotel in Port Washington. Yep. 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 You know, I it's. I can remember going up there for dinners with my parents. That's, I mean, they, they used to love to go to the Port Hotel, and it, it was always a great place for a meal, and I can remember a couple of things that we used to eat up there. Yeah, it was, now thanks to call, oh, great. You know, Port Washington, I said this the other day, I was, I, I was up there about a week or two ago, and, and we ate at one of the places on the, the main drag in Port Washington, and they started walking around. I'm really impressed with how Port is, is just revitalizing itself, especially close to the lake. And But, yeah, there, there's some of those older places that you just miss. Well, okay, enough of it walk down memory lane. But um, if you grew up in Glendale, you know what I'm talking about when I say the Silver Spring House. And the news today is that is closing. They tried to make a go of it, and it just didn't work too bad. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. Pop Culture Corner coming up around 2.35, a very timely topic for today. So uh, last evening, I'm at dinner with friends 
who have divergent political views. And inevitably, we that the conversation briefly gets around to the President of the United States. And it was interesting because um, a couple of the people I was with, I think it would be fair to say they cannot stand the President of the United States. And another couple I was with, it would be fair to say that they love the President of the United States, or at least love the job that he is doing. And so it's kind of an interesting conversation about this, but... The one thing that we were able to agree on is that everybody was tired of the drama. And, you know, I, I mentioned this yesterday. The, the whole question of did he violate the Constitution, you know, and was there this quid pro quo and was he trying to, you know, withhold funding for the Ukraine in order to get them to dig up dirt on his political opponents and that that whole thing, you know, however that plays out, it's taking all the air out of all the other issues that are out there. And for example, if you're a Democrat that's running for president and and you want to you want to talk about Medicare for all. Good luck. You know, if you want to talk about let's, you know, impose a wealth tax. Good luck. If you want to talk about gun control. Good luck. I mean, there's just there's no oxygen in the air for any of that because all all the newspapers want to write about is, you know, what the latest development is in the investigation into Trump and the Ukraine. And then, of course, you've got President Trump, who is. Certainly not going gently into the good night. I mean, President Trump, who is just kind of he he has decided to you know take a, a scorched earth policy towards you know these investigations by saying that you know he did absolutely nothing wrong. And and, and by the way, I want China to investigate some of this stuff. I mean, he's very very out front um with regard to what's going on and things like that and he's not going gently and he's not apologetic and he's clearly going to use everything at his disposal to you know fight you know any effort to remove him from office you know just no question about it but the the one thing that we could all agree on last night was regardless of, of how we felt about this we, we were kind of all tired of tired of it it was just like the, the constant drama and, and this was coming from people who both liked the president and who who didn't like the the president and I was saying you know I, I understand that completely because if you do what I do for a living, you know, we're also tribal and our, our views of this are, are shaped by, you know, whether you support the president or whether you don't support the president, et cetera, et cetera. And there's some people that just can't get enough of this. It's just red meat on either side. And there's a lot of people who are kind of like me saying, gosh, I wish we could figure out a fix to Social Security because I am concerned with that. In any event, all right, the last 24 or 48 hours, there have been more emails that have circulated. The upshot of some of these emails is that some of the the aides, some of the people in government who were on the periphery of these discussions, you know, felt that um, President Trump's threats to withhold aid were tied to um, a, an expectation that the Ukraine would conduct an investigation into the activities of Joe Biden's kid. That's that's kind of the upshot of this. Trump continue President Trump continues to deny that and you know we're we are where we are. All right, what I want you to do is I want you to look into your crystal ball. I don't want to talk about right now whether you think the president's a crook who should be impeached or whether this is all a witch hunt, etc. I want you to look into your crystal ball. 
and tell me, what's today's date? October 4th of 2019. You know, there's an election in November of 2020. Here is my question for you. Look into your crystal ball and tell me, one year from today, October 4th of 2020, is Donald Trump still the President of the United States? What do you think? Why or why not? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is President Trump going to survive this effort? Will he be president a year from today? Why or why not? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. What do you think? This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right. There's a lot of discord that's out there now. Will Donald Trump be the president a year from today? Let's start with some texts. Duh, of course he will be. I am shaking my head. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, more likely he will be in office than he won't be, but it is going to be a bumpy ride. It's definitely going to be a bumpy ride. Jeff, he definitely will still be the president of the United States because the other side is moronic not to put up a viable candidate that can split the gap. At the end of the day, people are too afraid of what's on the left to go against Trump. Hmm, don't know. Um, now, that's two different questions. question about whether he's going to be re- reelected or a question of, you know, whether or not he's going to be removed from office. Uh, Jeff, no, we're a nation of laws. Trump broke the law and admitted as much. He will be gone. It is illegal for any person to solicit, accept, or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with the U.S. election, says the FEC chair. Um, I don't think it's quite as clear as that, but regardless, um, 414-799-1620. Jeff, Trump has raised $125 million for re-election. A good chunk of this is from small givers. He is the voice for the common American. I'm not for either side, but this constant searching for the next shiny object with President Trump is so exhausting. I believe if the Democrats pursue impeachment, it will nearly guarantee re-election. 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I, I believe Trump's going to still be president. And the reason why is the Democrats have these weird ideas of programs that who's going to pay for them. I, if people figure this out, there's no one going to be uh, able to pay for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But what about the idea of removing him from office through through the process of impeachment, saying that he's you know committed a high crime or a misdemeanor? So you know we're we're going to remove him. I think he's going to get around it. Yeah. Uh, well, he's he's certainly not going to go quietly into the good night. There's no doubt about no, that. I, no, I mean he's got resources. He he's a smart guy. He's going to get around it. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean his it is interesting. His, his his strategy is, and this is a strategy he's you know pursued for pretty much his entire career in in the private sector. It has just been aggressive, go on the attack, deny, deny, deny. I mean, look, there there, there were people who thought the the Stormy Daniels, you know, the Stephanie Clifford, she was the pornographic film actress who you know supposedly got you know hush money after having a, a one night stand with him at some celebrity golf outing back in 2006 or, or whatever i mean there were people who thought that okay that was going to bring him down well what 
you know, what has been his strategy about that? It's been to be aggressive about it. Now we don't talk about Stormy Daniels anymore. I mean, it's just it's one of these things that went by. The Mueller report was supposed to bring the president down. You know, that didn't do it. It's just it does seem like we go from one thing to another. But, of course, the president's strategy is kind of that scorched earth strategy of deny, deny, deny. No, I didn't sleep with her. No, I didn't sleep with her. No, I didn't sleep with her. I'm not sure anybody really believes that. Now, the question is, does anybody care about it? Jeff, the whole point of the resistance was to create a war of attrition featuring discord, tribalism, and fatigue. At this point, I at this point, I think it's finally working. I think he survives impeachment but loses his re-election. I might, however, change my mind. Jeff, not enough votes in the Senate to impeach unless he's caught with a high school cheerleader, I think, and then it's it's only 60-40. Huh. Jeff, sadly, he will because the Democrats have candidates that want to give everything away with the same bad aid solutions that never work. I, again, I, I don't know. I, I just... And I understand whenever I say this, some of you get extremely frustrated. You were a former prosecutor. How can you turn a blind eye to this kind of corruption? I, I still remain unconvinced that he's committed an impeachable offense, which isn't to say that that he handled these various phone calls in what I would consider to be an appropriate manner. But I think if you look at the phone calls, there are – Depending on your view of this, there are things you can say that are exculpatory, and you can understand that, you know, when he's using the word favor, he doesn't mean, hey, I want this quid pro quo. It's just the way he talks. Hey, you know, Gru, will you do me a favor and get me a cup of coffee? You know, that it's 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 not like, yes, you know, I, you're, you're going to lose your job if you don't get me a cup of coffee. It's, hey, if you're going into the back room, will you get me a cup of coffee? And th- there is that interpretation to it, and then there's e- the evil interpretation saying, hey, you know, I, I expect you to investigate Biden's kids or you're not going to, you know, get anything from this. And then the overall issue about whether, even if that was the intent, whether or not that violates the law. And that's very much up in the air. If I had to guess, I would say that I agree with the texter who said it's going to be a bumpy ride because it is going to be a bumpy ride. My guess is that just like Donald Trump has survived all these other things, Donald Trump has survived this. In fact, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if among his supporters, he comes out perhaps more more defiant and perhaps stronger than ever. Now, whether that means he's going to be strong enough to get reelected 13 months from now, I take no position on that. I think that a lot of there's a lot of water that still has to go over to the bridge before we figure that out. But if you're asking me as a betting man, do I think he's going to be the president a year from now? My my answer is yes, I think he's going to be the president a year from now for better or for worse. But it is going to be a bumpy ride. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As evidence that the president is not going quietly into the good night, maybe you saw the story, but the president's campaign, which has a ton of money, came out with a couple ads that they wanted to run on CNN. Now, you might think that there's a disconnect here. You know, okay, the, the president, you know, CNN, along with MSNBC, you know, is, is really the president's favorite, you know, quote-unquote whipping boys. And, you know, whenever they talk about fake news, you know, CNN is what comes to mind. And, of course, CNN is the network where you have Jim Acosta, who I, I think 
has, has really kind of turned in his journalism card to be, for better or worse, you know, an advocate against the president. But anyhow, the Trump campaign comes out with these two ads that they want to run on CNN. One suggests that the president is being unfairly scrutinized for pressing Ukraine to investigate Biden and his son. The ad accuses Trump's potential 2020 opponent of corruption, etc., etc., etc. The 30-second commercial claims Biden promised Ukraine a billion dollars to fire a prosecutor looking into his son's company. Um, it then goes on to criticize the media lapdogs of aiding the Democrats' impeachment efforts, and it depicts prominent journalists bashed by Trump. Now, they want to run this ad on CNN, and those journalists that they're mocking include Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, White House correspondent Jim Acosta, and Rachel Maddow. CNN says that in addition to disparaging CNN and its journalists, the ads makes assertions that have been proven demonstrably false by various news outlets, including CNN. Now, All right, so CNN says, we're not going to take your money. We're not going to run it. And then there's this controversy. My guess is the Trump administration really never intended, seriously, to have, you know, CNN run this ad. What they wanted was they wanted the attention that they were going to get and the second-day follow-up story that they were going to get when CNN said it wouldn't run the ad. You know, the, the CNN have the right to turn down political ads? And my answer would be, yeah, they, they do. If, I don't know, somebody decided that they wanted to buy ad time on our station to criticize John McCure, because none of the rest of us would ever be subject to criticism, you know, and the station decided for whatever reason, here, we, you know, we're, we're not going to run ads that are critical of our, you know, very successful afternoon host. I think CNN would have every, I think WTMJ would have every right to do that. They're saying, you know, we're just, we're not going to take your money. Sorry, we're going to pass. And then, of course, the person would be free to run the ads on other stations or whatever if they wanted. But, I mean, I think CNN has the right to do it. Am I surprised they said no? No, I'm not. Do I think the Trump administration essentially wanted them to do it? Absolutely. But I, I think the fact that they're trying to place ads like this on outlets like CNN and MSNBC tells you that the president, when it comes to these issues of, you know, pushing the narrative of, you know, what was Joe Biden doing? And it is a fair question. Why, why, why was his kid, you know, on the board of directors um, of this company in the Ukraine drawing $50,000 a year? Now, $50,000 a month on the board of directors. I mean, I look, and, and I'm not going down these conspiracy theorists of, you know, I, I don't, know that there's evidence to support the idea that Biden forced um, the, the prosecutor in the Ukraine out in order to protect his son. I, I'm not going down that route. I, I do think, again, just like some of the things that I think pres- way President Trump has approached certain things, kind of raise your eyebrows. The, the idea that you know Joe Biden's kid is drawing 50 grand a year from this company associated with the Ukraine while Joe Biden... It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Fem Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Really so very glad to have you with us. All right. We put aside the heavy lifting. We stopped worrying about... 
you know, what's going on with impeachment and, you know, was there corruption in the Oval Office and things like that. And we have a little fun as we lead into the weekend. The big pop culture news uh, this weekend is, is today, actually last night, the movie Joker opened up. That's a, a very, very controversial movie. The character is the Joker from like the DC Comics universe. This is a standalone movie that does, that stars Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I have not seen it. Don't think I plan to see it until it comes out on, you know, like HBO or something like that. But the basic premise, it's kind of like Taxi Driver meets uh, the King of Comedy. It, it's one of these things where it shows this sort of disaffected loser who, because of the way the world treats him, you know, is driven into madness and ultimately becomes this, this arch villain. That's kind of the premise of it. The people who have reviewed it say it is incredibly violent psychologically disturbing, et cetera, et cetera. Some reviewers absolutely love it. Some reviewers absolutely hate it. So, I mean, the general public will decide. But it's, with its violence and all, it's a variation of something that's kind of commonly reduced at this, uh, produced at this point in time in the year. It, it's it's kind of a horror movie. Maybe not a traditional horror movie, but, yeah, it, it's it's a horror movie. Halloween is coming up in a couple weeks the daylight hours are getting shorter. The leaves are starting to turn. And it seems like everywhere you go, you're having one movie channel after another that's devoting themselves to those scary movies. There's haunted houses that are out that people are going to. And everybody's getting ready for Halloween and trick-or-treating. So for Pop Culture Corner this week, in recognition of the fact that the calendar is turning and Halloween is coming, I thought we would get a head start on getting you into the spirit of Halloween by talking about one of my favorite things to discuss, which is movies. The topic this week is scary movies. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The caveat, our category is a movie that scares the heck out of me. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Okay, and there's all sorts of scary movies. I get it. But I know, if you're like me, there's that, that one movie that you put it on and you're home by yourself. I don't know, the kids are out, spouse is out, whatever. You're home by yourself. You turn it on for some reason to watch at 10 o'clock on a rainy Saturday night. You're going to be up for the next eight hours just waiting for it to get light. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The movie that scares the heck out of you. And typically, you know, for the really good scary movies, you know, you, you can watch them multiple times and you still get scared. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Grew is lining up the calls. Um, as I always say during these segments, I encourage you to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up and I want to get as many calls in as we possibly can. The movie that scares the heck out of you just in time for Halloween. 414-799-1620. Back to discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And our topic this week, in honor of Halloween, that movie that still scares the heck out of you. Let's start with Bill in Manitowoc. Hi, Bill. Hi, Jeff. It's got to be The Exorcist. When Linda Blair spins her head around. Do you remember when that movie first came out? 
I did. I'm 61 years old. Okay. And you remember, I mean, I, it, it is impossible to say that created that this, there was this national sort of crisis. I mean, people were, people were not only standing in line around the block to see the movie, but then people were reporting demonic possession. And I mean, that movie creeped out just a whole generation of film goers, I think. I agree. I still can't sleep on the top bunk of a bed because I think I'm floating <laughs> in the air. You know? <laughs> that, right, th- thanks for calling. I mean, yeah, I mean, and The Exorcist is one of those movies, too, that um, it's still, even though it was made in the 70s, it's still, it's still scary today. It's creepy. It keeps its, it keeps its uh, again, punch. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Laz on the north side. You're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hi, I don't know if you guys seen this movie, but the first Candyman movie. I, I haven't, I mean, but I've got three texts from people who say the Candyman as well. What, what What's it about? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually about a guy, and, and, and the setting is in Caprini Greens in Chicago. Okay. And what it is is a guy who who actually comes when you call him. You know, you look in the mirror, you shut the lights off, you call a Candyman, and... And then he appears. Okay. And he's a and he's a killer. He has a hook for arm and. Okay, got it. Like <laughs> but it, okay, got it. But it's it, it's scary as heck, huh? Yes. If you ever get a chance, check it out, Jeff. It will terrify. You. Okay. Th- th- okay. Th- thanks for calling. Now, see, this is this is part of the problem because I, I'm a I'm a huge movie fan. I. I don't necessarily like to be terrified. <laughs> okay, that's that that's that's part of it. I I admit I'm I'm kind of a weenie when it comes to these things. I'm one of these guys that you know sometimes you watch the horror movies because everybody else is watching the horror movies and you just want to see what this is all about. But I admit I'm one of these kind of guys that sometimes I, I'm watching it you know with the hand over my eyes and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. It'll terrify me. Okay, well it probably will. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Let's talk to Charlotte in Brookfield. Charlotte, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, when a stranger calls the original. Okay, the original, which was like the late seventies, as opposed to the remake. Well, yeah, I think the um, they may. Well, the second one, I think it's the second one. That one was good too, but the first one was so creepy, so creepy. And I think that's because that stuff could happen. Um, yeah, that that's the one where it's a it, it's like a babysitter, right? I, I've I've seen the movie; it's been a while, but it's like a babysitter who's being kind of like terrorized, right? Right, and they're watching. That person's watching them. Yeah. But Oh man, I don't want to get the right. Ending, but, okay, do you, you know. do you remember one? Of, do you remember one of the people that went on to be pretty famous who was in that movie? No, Carol no. Kane. Carol Kane, you know, who was in uh, she played in Taxi and stuff. You know, one of the big character oh, yeah. actresses. Carol, yeah, Carol Kane played one of the the people in there. She yeah, was the babysitter. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, practically well, good enough. No, thanks for that. No, I, I actually, I mean that that came out. That was one of the movies that came out uh, around the time of it, it was. It, th- there was a period of time where you had a lot of the the quote unquote slasher movies that came out, like the original Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, and then you know the. Then kind of like the Friday the Thirteenth things with Jason and stuff like that. That was that was in that sort of vein. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The movie that still gives you the creeps. Laura in Grafton. Laura, you're on WTMJ. Hello, I'm one of a gazillion that had the Exorcist. The difference is, I saw it at a drive-in, 
in like 1973, 1974 when it came out. Okay. We, we snuck into the driveway. Okay, a couple of us hid in the trunk for real. So my <laughs> girlfriend would not allow us to scream because we would call attention. Watching that movie without screaming still gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Okay, I got to ask you: Did when when you left after the movie, did they make you get back in the trunk? No, because <laughs> we were already in. No, no. We, well, we always used to do that. Two of us did, but the thing was, we couldn't scream. And you're right; it was more the dynamic, you know, the, just the devil. Because I'm sure if, if I would ever see it again, which I would, would probably laugh at how it looks fake. Right. Just that whole. Oh, right. Well, I mean, j- just remember, I mean, in the aftermath of that, like I said, that this was a huge national story. I mean, it, it's where the the movie sort of transcended just the movies. And yeah. there there were all these reports about, you know, all the dem- demonic possession, and you had the, the Catholic Church tied up in exorcisms and things like that. No, it was it was an amazing time. Thanks for God. I mean, it, it was almost impossible to understate the impact that that movie had, uh, again, moving under the regular culture. Uh, I'm trying, I mean, there, there were other movies that had that effect as well. You know, more recently, Blair Witch Project, I mean, I, which I, I, I watched that once, and the, the handheld camera things and all the jittery stuff, it just it kind of gave me a headache watching it. But Blair Witch Project, you know, a, a low-budget film that made just a ton of money, you know, that was one that was definitely there. Let's talk to Jack in Elkhorn. Hi, Jack. You're on WTMJ. I don't know, Jeff, my man. I'm well, sir. What do you think? The movie that just still scares you. We need another bigger boat. <laughs> I, I, I've told this story before. I, I remember when I first saw it, I remember the, the gal that I took to it. When that, that when that shark comes out of the water in the middle of the movie going after the boat, she grabbed my arm. I think I still have marks in my arm from where she grabbed me. That, that I, I just we're, To see that movie to, in, a, in a movie theater full of people who didn't know what was going to happen, it was an amazing experience. I went. I went with. We went to Brookfield Square, the very first showing in Milwaukee. Okay. I went with. We were, I was a senior at Marquette. I went with two of my buddies. with all Marquette, getting ready to graduate. Right. Jaws came out. I think we screamed like little high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it thanks go. Now, see, now everybody's seen Jaws nowadays, and a lot of people that have seen it have seen it on on television, and maybe you've seen edited things, and and again you. They say, well, I mean, you really, why do you talk about Jaws as being a horror movie? Because if you didn't know what was going to happen and you saw it in this crowded movie theater where, you know, nobody knows what that shark is going to look like and all of a sudden it makes that appearance, man, it, it just, it was one of these communal things. It's one of the reasons I love going to movie theaters to this day because you, you get a, you get an experience when you're there with a whole bunch of people that's different than the experience you get if you're sitting, you know, in your living room watching it on, even if you're watching on a 60 or 70 inch TV screen. Kelly in Waukesha. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kelly. Um, I, my mom is writing me notes. Hers, <laughs> hers is the thing. Oh, okay. The original. She saw it when she was seven years old, and she's forty. Or she's seventy-nine years old now. Okay. And you you she, just gave up your mom's age on the radio. You well, realize that. She, okay. You don't know who I am. <laughs> anyway, she said she held on to her sister's pajamas the entire night. <laughs> they slept in the same bed and were holding on to each other's pajamas. <laughs> but mine is The Shining. Oh, with Jack Nicholson. Oh, my God. I can't watch the movie by myself. I, I mean, my, you know, I'll watch it at home or whatever. I'll be screaming by myself at home. 
because well, it, it, it was two twin girls. Right. Just, oh my God. It is, oh, right. You, it you know, so creepy. You know, it, it's int- I, this is this is like too much information in the way my mind works. <laughs> I was reading something the other day. You know, The, the Shining was an adaptation of a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. He hated the movie. He hated the adaptation. Really? Hated what they did with his book. Yeah. He, he you know, they, they've adapted a lot of his books. He hated mm-hmm. that one. But int- I, I know exactly what you mean. I think Jack Nicholson. Um, and uh, what Shelley Duvall, I think, mm-hmm. to me, the the idea of being in one of those, like being in that kind of house in the middle of nowhere through a winter, um, you, you always think of The Shining, and then you got those twin girls and stuff. And I, I work in a hotel, <laughs> and I've already had to stay overnight when it, when there's a snowstorm, and I, I'm up all night. I'm freaking out, thinking that's what's going to happen. Uh, see, that that's that's a great <laughs> horror movie. It yeah, just any, follows you. Yeah, any you. movie that's going to, exactly. And I saw it when I was young, you know. Oh. I'm, in, I'm, I'm 50 now, and I, I saw it when I was, you know, okay. younger. Okay, well, it's only fair that you give up your age since you gave up your mom's age, too. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, thank you for listening. Thank your mom for listening, Kelly. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the shot, yeah, I forget what I was reading. It was just the other day. It was something about must be about something new that the new Stephen King adaptation and he it was an interview and he was just talking about how he just he hated the movie The Shining hated what they did to that um, Brian in Port Washington Brian you're on WTMJ yeah for me it's the first Alien uh, and it's the scene where yep the guy thinks he's okay and sitting down to a nice uh, cornflake breakfast and all of a sudden the monster pops out of his chest I think that's a classic e- yes that. You know, Alien, you know, is, is kind of like the, the haunted house movie, except in, in space. And that was another one. I remember seeing that in a theater with a theater full of people that nobody knew what what was going to happen. And then just being shocked when that happened. And again, it was another one of those things where you just you couldn't help but really jump. <laughs> yeah. No, that. I, too, was in the theater when I saw that, and I I jumped literally out of the seat. Uh, yes, a- absolutely. No, th- no that, that's, you know, th- there's no question about that one. I, I'm trying to, you know, it, it's interesting because I don't, you know, there's terrifying movies that the slasher genre doesn't do anything for me. And I, I think, you know, you've got a lot of those types of, of, of movies that were out there. I, I always say this, and I and sometimes people I, I know because I hear because people watch this on on my recommendation. The there's a there's a Dutch movie called The Vanishing, and they remade it for Hollywood about ten years later. Skip the Hollywood thing with Keith for Sullivan uh, Sutherland, but the last and it's it's one of these psychological mysteries. Without giving it away, the last five minutes of The Vanishing. Are, are some of the most terrifying five minutes that I have ever seen in a movie theater. Now, some people some people say it's not worth sitting through the other hour and a half to get to that five minutes, you know, and it's because it's not, you know, your, your typical fast-paced horror movie. It's more of a psychological thing. But the, the last five minutes of The Vanishing, the original one, are about as troubling as 
as you can possibly, as you can just, you know, possibly get. Um, let's see, 41479. Well, we're just about out of time. All right, matter of fact, we are out of time. Let's see, some of these 13 ghosts, the birds, another vote for when a stranger calls, all sorts of stuff like that. I would throw in the movie Phantasm and, um, you know, a lot of the current stuff that's out there as well interesting movies that are being made. It is October. If you happen to see a good horror movie, uh, send me an email. I'm always trying to expand my repertoire. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.